Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 711 with Patricia Stark. Patricia has got some pro tips on speaking with calm as well as confidence. So you'll learn one, the key mindset shift that brings you both calm and confidence. Two, the simple rule for looking and sounding like an expert. And three, precisely how long you should maintain eye contact. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we mentioned here, please drop on by awesome at yourjob.com slash EP711. And if you're hanging out awesomeatyourjob.com, check out some cool stuff like the transcripts of every episode, which are fully searchable, the tags of every episode by topic and subtopic, the email summaries, a lot of good stuff at awesomeatyourjob.com. And here's some good stuff about Patricia. Patricia Stark is owner of Patricia Stark Communications and Confidence Workshops, providing training in personal and professional development. She works with celebrities, corporate executives, authors, news anchors, social media influencers, and others whose careers rely on their ability to communicate effectively. She lives in New York. And for more information, check out patriciastark.com. Big thanks to Patricia for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here's Patricia. Patricia, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, it's so great to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I'm excited to talk about your your book, Confidence, and that's spelled C-A-L-M. F-I-D-E-N-C-E. First of all, what does that mean? (laughs) Well, thank you for spelling out that first word, because if you say it quickly, everybody's ear hears confidence, which we all hear, but it's confidence. I've been coaching and training people for many years, and I realized that all of my clients and students had two things in common. They wanted to be confident speaking in public or being on stage or in the media or asking for a raise or giving a presentation, or they were also feeling that they needed to find their calm. So a lot of people can be confident, but they still get stressed out and anxious. So They were really looking for those two things, and I found that's really a very powerful and magical combination when you can both have calm and confidence simultaneously, so thus the term confidence. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And and could you share with us a, a story of just what's possible in terms of a transformation with regard to starting out uh, neither calm nor confident and and ending uh, super confident? 
Sure. Well, I'll give you a personal story where really I noticed it in myself for one of the first times. So I was invited to uh, be on a PBS program uh, in New Jersey for one of the PBS networks here in our area. And it was the first time uh, that I was going to be uh, shown as a communications expert, quote, unquote. So I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness, what if the so-called communications expert makes a mistake? Now, for years leading up to that, I had been the interviewer, I had been the reporter, the anchor, the host doing the interview, and now here I was as the guest expert, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, like this is really a disaster if I can't communicate uh, well in this situation. And I started to get myself a little worked up, as most of us do when we're out of our comfort zone and doing something for the first time where we're expanding and, and we're doing something new. And all of a sudden, it hit me that I was confident because I had helped a lot of people and I knew that my exercises and strategies had really benefited people. And then suddenly I got this sense of calm over me where I realized, you know what, this isn't about me at all. This is about the viewers that are listening that really need some help and that really need to have some strategies to work through this on their own. And I was there to be of service and to give value. And once I had that mind shift change, it really gave me a very different perspective and sense of calm and confidence and control over the situation. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing that's come up a few times that in terms of feeling calm and confident in a speaking situation is the realization, hey, it's not about you. Get over yourself, be of service, focus in on on the listeners, what they need and want and how you can can deliver that. So it sounds like, hey, there's a huge nugget right there in terms of of being calm and confident. So so tell us, how do, how do you think we get there if we're in our head and, and self-conscious and thinking about ourselves and what if I screw up? How do we make that leap? Yeah, well, you just said a really key phrase, what if I screw up? And that's what I was doing myself in the example that I gave you is that I was picturing what could go wrong. And we're so good at that. And it's really a defense mechanism to help us protect ourselves, to think worst case scenario, to think, okay, what if the absolute most horrible thing happens right now? How am I going to defend myself or get out of the situation? So that tends to be our default. So first and foremost, we need to really realize that the most important thing that we are hearing is initially our internal communication before we have external communication. So we have to do a, a check in on how am I speaking to myself first and foremost about this situation? And what is the story that I'm telling myself? And am I envisioning the way that I want it to go and how I can help others and really visualize and see this going the way that I want it to go? Or am I going to that primitive default place where I'm in this protective mode of just hoping that I am going to survive this? <laughs> So I think that really just by changing your focus and saying, no, I'm going to have a plan and I'm going to visualize how I'm going to work that plan in the positive way that I want it to go and even seeing the outcome that I want to see. And that may be, you know, someone coming up to you and saying, hey, wow, you know, that speech really helped me or that really inspired me or a boss coming up to you and saying, wow, you know, you really did your homework for that presentation and it was a great job. We really appreciate, you know, all the work you put in that and doing that ahead of time, which is called pre-paving really then helps our subconscious kick in and follow our 
positive plan rather than worrying about all of those horrible images that we've created that our autopilot is saying, well, I thought this is what you wanted me to do because this is the last thing you were thinking before you sent me out there. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. Well, in your book, you've got a whole chapter on confidence boosters. Sounds like we've maybe already hit a couple of them. Can you share what are some of the other most powerful practices that really help people here? Yeah, well, I know that people have heard this time and time again, but it really works and it's really true. And that is having gratitude, being grateful for why you're there, for the opportunity to be there. And it can be small gratitude. It can be large gratitude. You know, so if someone is asking you to be in a leadership role or to be the expert on the topic of the moment, you know, that doesn't mean that you're the be all end all best expert there's ever been, but you're going to be the expert of that moment. So having gratitude for saying, wow, you know, it's really great that someone thinks that I have something to offer or that they've invited me to be here instead of I have to do this. No, I get to do this. And how lucky and blessed am I? that I'm even in this position to have a platform where I can hopefully help others and inspire others. So gratitude is really one of the things that studies show can completely cancel out anxiety. You, you literally can't be grateful and anxious simultaneously because you can't be thinking of things that you're grateful for and also have that sense of anxiety. That's super. How about another confidence booster? (laughs) Oh, another confidence booster would be trusting yourself and liking yourself. So often we worry about what others think. How do I look? How do I sound? But getting to the point where you've prepared enough to where it's good enough and you're not trying so hard for perfection, but just good enough. And I think that sometimes we get so in our way because we think that everything has to be just right. Everything has to just be perfect. But when we realize that good enough is good enough, now we have room to be human. We have room to be approachable and endearing. And other studies that I've read also show that we don't like perfect people anyway. We like people that seem like us, that, you know, are vulnerable, that mess up, that say, whoops, sorry, uh, and keep going on and let it roll off their back. So that's definitely another booster is cutting yourself some slack and liking yourself and allowing yourself to be human and letting that be, be good enough and not aiming for such perfection because perfection really is a roadblock. Mm-hmm. And you've got some particular perspectives on dealing with the inner critic. Can you share a few of those with us? Yeah, the inner critic goes back to what I was saying earlier about that defense mechanism and that place of a a primitive place where we're we're protecting ourselves. You know, everybody talks about the inner critic and it sounds like this big monster that has fangs that is chasing us down in the back of our minds. But what that inner critic really is, is it's just you or I, like a scared little kid that still lives with us. And we can't ever completely make the inner critic go away, but we can stop taking direction from it. And we can say, oh, you know what? I know why you're here. You're scared or you're worried or something like this is baggage that you've been carrying on that maybe happened to you when you were a kid. Maybe you got uh, laughed at. Maybe you got turned down uh, for a job or for a date or for whatever, fill in the blank. And now that 
scared little part of us that we still all have like a squatter in the back of our mind shows its its ugly head to warn us and to try to protect us. And that's when I like to say, no, we all have an inner critic, but we also all have an inner coach. And it's almost like that angel devil scene that we've all seen in movies or commercials. And we're like, okay, well, who am I going to listen to? And it really takes practice and a conscious effort to say, you know what? I'm not going to listen to the inner critic. I'm going to listen to the inner coach. And I'm going to talk to myself the way that teachers or mentors or people that I've admired or people that really helped me at certain parts of my life, a dear friend or a confidant, how did they talk to me? Or how would I talk to a dear friend or someone that I care about if they were struggling with something or having stress or anxiety? And deciding that I'm going to talk to myself as my inner coach And then I can't listen to the inner critic because if you're not talking to yourself, that inner critic voice is going to be really loud. But if you're talking to yourself, then you can't hear that inner critic talking to you. Well, thank you. And by contrast, what are some of the confidence killers? Uh, Definitely uh, defining yourself externally. We all worry about what others think and what is this person going to think? Or I remember my mom always telling me when she grew up with her father, he had immigrated to this country and he was always like, well, what will people think? And finally she said to him as she got a little older, she's like, who are these people (laughs) that you've been talking about? Uh, So, you know, I think that it is defining yourself from externally. I think that all happiness, all confidence, all calm and confidence, all starts from within. So working on things, whatever you can, and knowing that we've all, again, we've all got baggage, we've all got all kinds of things that have influenced us negatively going through our lives, whether it was family, friends, coaches, tough people that we worked with. I mean, we've all got that. We're all struggling with something, but realizing that that true calm and that confidence and trust in ourselves and belief in ourselves can never come from external sources. It can only come from the inside and doing that inner work. And that might look different for different people. It could be meditation. It could be preparation. It could be their faith. It could be, again, going into that inner coach mode, uh, but knowing that we've got to go internal and from within. And that's where everything, that's the foundation of everything, not coming from the outside. And so you mentioned that could take look differently for different people in terms of of what is the inner work by which one arrives at having an internal, I guess, uh, self-worth, self-confidence, self-identity that is ideally unshakable in terms of someone thinks you're, you're dumb or whatever. Right. I mean, and it's funny, in my own life experience, I've had times where I've had criticism. We're like, well, yeah, you're mistaken. So don't care. Right. <laughs> it just like has zero impact. And other times it's like, oh no, right. you know, and, and it really hits hard. So I'd love it if you could dig into some of those different views of inner work by that gets us to that place of unshakable sure. self-confidence. Well, I can't get in other people's heads, but when I've had the conversation with clients and students and even family and friends, and even when I've been discussing when I was writing my book, it, it's really like, what's that personal ritual or that thing that you do that makes you feel like, you know what? I've got this. I've got my act together. I feel solid. I feel like I'm ready to go. And those rituals are different for all of us. Some people like to work on their outside and get, you know, feel like everything looks 
just a certain way. And then hopefully then they let that go and they can forget about themselves because they've taken care of whatever they needed to externally get their act together. And now, okay, I'm like in that uniform, I'm in that mode where I can go out into the world and hopefully forget about myself. Mm -hmm. It could be, again, someone that uh, meditates in the morning or maybe somebody that's really does their homework, that, that really covers all the bases above and beyond so that they can perform to a certain degree and have a little bit extra if they need to whip something out of their hands that they weren't expecting. It could be someone thinking about, you know, what's my why? Why am I showing up today? Is it because I feel that I have something that will help people? Is it that I want to do a great job so that I feel like I have you know something that I'm proud of or that my family will be proud of me? Is it my faith in myself or, or a faith in a higher power? It's something that all of us tap into that, again, is an individual thing that makes us each feel like, I know I've got this. And even if things don't work out exactly the way I want to or go south and are not okay, I know I'll at least be okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, lovely. Thank you. And I'm curious, when it comes to shifting gears like into the the actual presentation communication zone, uh, you mentioned rituals and, and, and preparation. I'm thinking about the actual preparation of of your content or, or, or presentation. What do you recommend? Uh, is, is there a particular amount or approach that really works wonders and, and making us feel confident and ready to go and deliver? Yeah. Over the years when I would work with a different content and copy, whether I was on stage or in front of the camera for a client, I remember someone many, many years ago, it might've been a director or a producer that was, we were having this conversation and they made this comment where they said, you know, it's not about memorization. It's about internalization. So it's one thing to memorize things and that's fine and that's good. And some people have better memories than others, but when you're really invested to the point where you've internalized this stuff, where you just really know your stuff, you eat, sleep and drink it, you know, it like the back of your hand, that's when the magic can happen because you can be so much more free and flexible and not worry about, oh, I was supposed to say it just this way. You know, just like I'm sure when you drive to your home from, you know, work or wherever you're going to the food store or whatever, there's probably five different ways or routes that you could take to your house, but all of them are going to get you to the place where you need to be, depending on what mood you're in or traffic or detours, right? So as long as you know your content inside and out the best that you can, and I know sometimes people spring presentations on us and things, you know, we don't have as much time to prepare as we would like. However, if you're someone who should know that content and it is something that you live with, and that you work with and that maybe and hopefully is a passion of yours, to be able to have it more something that is just part of you and internalized again to where not, not just memorizing talking points, that's such a beautiful place to be because then you can have real organic things happen. You can be really in the moment. People can ask you questions and you're not going to get thrown because you can think for a moment and you can be like, well, you know, here's my point of view on that. And again, we want to be prepared, obviously. So the best people will make it look like they're winging it, but they still have a skeletal structure. So a lot of times I'll tell clients, okay, if you're not going to go from a verbatim script, 
have chronological bullet points where you're going to kind of have a skeletal structure in your mind's eye. So you'll see that structure of content points or concept points. And then with a more casual conversation, hopefully a little bit more organic, then you can put the flesh and the fat on it in a conversational manner, but you're still following this beautiful skeletal structure. So you know where you're starting and where you're, you're ending up. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly. And so that sounds like a, a great place to end. Like, oh, you have that flexibility. You can rock and roll in, in that way. And I'm curious, and I'm sure it will, will vary based on the nature of the communication and, and the person. But sometimes I think we we have it, but we don't really have it, you know, in terms of like, okay, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh, sure. So I guess, how do we really know? How do you really know that you know? Like, is, is there sort of an amount of practice or a key acid test that you, you run folks through? It is different for everyone. I used to have a terrible fear of public speaking when I was in high school and in college, and I would over-prepare, and that would make me more nervous. Mm. Now that I've gotten over that, and I'm just at a place where I just love communicating with people, and I love talking about all kinds of topics, including the ones that are, are my passion, I tend to just be more relaxed about it. I have a a plan, but it's more of a simplified plan, again, that I can let happen organically. But for people who can't do that and they don't speak enough, and that's usually the problem when when we don't speak all the time and we're not constantly in great shape of organizing our content and presenting our content, what I will tell to people is I'll say, let's do it in like a rule of threes. So I had a client recently that she's an expert in her field and she was going to be interviewed on a morning show about what she did. And it was three minutes. And we went through it because she's done that before. And we had her content and the three main takeaways that she wanted to do. And then she came to me the next week and she said, oh my goodness, someone just asked me to do a half an hour of content that they want to have as like a webinar or or something that was going to live somewhere on somebody's website. And she says, how the heck am I going to fill a half an hour? So then I said to her, all right, well, what are like those three main modules that are those three main takeaways that you normally talk about? And we flushed that out again. And then I said, okay, so uh, 30 minutes is really, you've got what, maybe about a minute, minute and a half open, and then a minute, minute and a half closed. So now you've got like 27 minutes left. So that's nine, nine, and nine, which makes 27. So let's take three blocks of nine minutes and have that be one of each of your three talking points. And then under that, let's have a subset of three things under each of those umbrellas that go a little bit deeper, a deeper dive into the topic. So then that was three minutes, three minutes, three minutes under each of those nine headings. So all of a sudden she's working this all out and she says to herself, wow, if I include all of this stuff, I hope that I can give all the information I want to get. I hope a half an hour is enough time. So suddenly she realized she had more than enough content. She just needed to chunk it down. So I think that if we can chunk things down, think about what really are the main takeaways that the audience or the viewers, the listeners really need and simplify that and then go back and reverse engineer and dive a little bit deeper into each of them, we'll usually find that we have more content than we need. Mm -hmm. All right. Lovely. And You've also got some particular perspectives on healthy, engaged eye contact. Lay it on us. Yeah, uh, yes. So, you know, a lot of people don't really feel comfortable with eye contact. And it's particularly odd these days because we're out of practice 
Yeah. We haven't been in person with each other the best that we can. And we've all been all over the place with our eye contact on some of these virtual platforms because it's like, well, I want to look down at the boxes and see the people that I'm talking to as, as I'm used to looking at human beings. But I really need to look at that little dot in front of me so that they feel like I'm looking at them and even feel like I'm listening to them. Mm -hmm. Because when we're looking in other places, we look disengaged, right? So I know in person that a lot of people feel like either someone's boring a hole through their head or looking into their soul if they make eye contact for too long. So a couple of tips on comfortable, confident eye contact. The sweet spot seems to be between like two and five seconds. So if we look away too fast before that two seconds, it looks like we're nervous and we don't want to make that eye contact or we're hiding something. And if we stay, overstay our welcome a little bit longer than that five seconds, it looks like we're way too interested or we've got that stalker stare. So to think to yourself, all right, just go for that two to five second sweet spot and then look at the other nonverbal communication. We should be looking at lips. We should be looking at eyebrows. We should be looking at facial expressions and kind of looking up to think about our content or looking down to ponder, you know, what we're thinking about or how we're digesting the information. So we actually give each other breaks and those moments so that we're not just completely engaged in eye contact all the time to where everybody becomes uncomfortable and awkward. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great perspective in two to five seconds that sounds and feels about right. And and often that might be just about a, a short sentence or a phrase and then sort of, and then we can look to the next person with the following sentence. And then when we start a new one, we're looking at the next person. And so that, that just sort of has a nice flow or groove to it. When you mentioned that we are out of practice and scared, <laughs> I'm curious, do you have any exercises you recommend? Sometimes if I'm like in an airport, or I like to look at people's eyes. Uh-huh. And it's funny, I see this in myself in terms of like, sometimes I'm just like, I'm ready to like look at them for two seconds and not <laughs> yeah. just like, hey, <laughs> and, um, and other times I'm like, oh, you caught me. Ah! <laughs> right. Oh, I know. Yeah, that's like, oh yeah, I, really, I wasn't looking at you, I swear. <laughs> and so are there exercises you, you think we can conduct safely to get more comfortable with this? Yes. Well, I'll tell you a quick little funny story. When COVID first happened and we were all in that really first intense quarantine and I hadn't been used to seeing faces up close other than my immediate family members, I opened the refrigerator one day and there was this huge image of someone's face on the container of milk and it startled me. I was like, oh, that feels really weird and really close and a stranger, right? So uh, I like felt that effect. And when I was doing a little bit of research on this, I found out that there are actually apps and websites that where you can practice and you go you can go on and you can stare into eyes of people that are looking directly at you on your phone or your computer. So that's kind of an interesting little trick. That's fascinating. Yeah, or you could watch video. <laughs> <laughs> One little uh, thing that I want to mention when it comes to uncomfortable or prolonged eye contact is that it's also a very effective strategy in holding your ground. If you really want someone to know you mean business, or you're really waiting for an answer, or you are expecting something, you can just really just maintain that eye contact and look at them and hold your ground. And it really makes people respond or get uncomfortable. Not that we want to make people uncomfortable, but it's very effective in letting people People know that you are standing your ground and you're not doing anything until they make the next move. Oh, it really is. And, and I, I remember when I did a lot of keynotes on college campuses, sometimes there'd be some, some chatterboxes talking to each other in the audience. And yeah, I didn't really like that, but it was, it was almost like a magical superpower in terms of sure enough, when I looked like right at them, it was like, Ooh, 
they kind of like toned it down and, and, and got quiet. Yeah, it's so true. Until I looked elsewhere and right. then they might start up again. Then you look again and they tone it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, and we also, you, you reminded me of something about judging a book by its cover. And, and I had mentioned earlier about the eye contact with the other nonverbal facial expressions, which have also been tough with us with masks on. So we really rely on the eyes and hopefully seeing the crow's feet so we can tell someone's smiling or, you know, looking in between their brow to see if they're sad or angry or mad or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's really the whole picture, right? So it's not just the eye contact. It's, you know, what other messages am I receiving? And what are some of those micro expressions, little moments there, you know, we think we saw something, but then it went away because someone, one tried to, to hide it. So hopefully it makes us ask more powerful questions and engage verbally with people. But there was one instance where I was giving a seminar or it was a big workshop, I think it was, and there was somebody in the front of the room that was staring at me and she really had this terrible, you know, pickle puss kind of poker face look on her face. And I thought she was extremely unhappy uh, every time I'd kind of catch eyes with her. And, you know, lo and behold, at the break, who's the first person that runs up with a big smile on their face telling me how much they're enjoying the session? And I was looking at her and I was like, are you kidding me? I said, you look like you wanted to beat me up. And she goes, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I've been told I get this look on my face when I'm really into something and really intensely listening and paying attention. And I was like, you've been told this. I think you need to work on that. But it's really, it was a good lesson for me to remember how we talked about that self-talk. You know, that was the story I was telling myself. Oh, she must be unhappy. Why did I go there first? So now if I see those pickle pusses and poker faces, I think, oh, they think this is the best thing since sliced bread. I'm making up what I'm telling myself about the situation anyway. So why not make up something positive? That's good. And it's true. I think that there are times where my eyes, they might just seem like I'm sort of glazed over, like maybe zombie-esque. But what's, what's really happening is I'm like, whoa, Patricia, what you just said is huge. And so if that's true, then all these other implications and possibilities might work out. And maybe I should try this over here. And so it, it might look like I'm totally zoned out. But in fact, I'm engaging pretty deeply and my, yeah. my mind is really racing with ideas and possibilities associated with the thing that you've spoken about. Yeah. So we shouldn't make assumptions. And if we're going to, let's keep them positive because we're making it up anyway. All righty. Well, tell me, do you have a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I was thinking that a really great one, especially in business and in the way that we put ourselves out there or not in the world, is God gives all birds their food, but he doesn't throw it into their nests. And I particularly like this quote because I am a bird person. I have a bird feeder out in the back of my yard, and I'm always going out there, and I get a lot of joy feeding the cardinals and the different birds, and even the squirrels, they don't bother me because I think, you know what, they're coming out when I'm throwing this out there. So, but they have to come out of their nests to come and get that food. And when I see them with that uh, motivation and they give me happiness because I see that they're going out there to come and get what I'm giving to them, I want to give them more. I even have one squirrel that will come up to the back door and take a big piece of bread out of my hand like it's a drive-through window. Mm. And I love this squirrel because the squirrel's going the extra mile. It's figured out that if it comes out and, and comes out of its comfort zone, out of, out of its safe space, that I'm here to give it something. And I think that this is a really great analogy for whether it's a goal or going the extra mile at your job. When people see that you're willing to leave the nest, to take a chance, to put yourself out there and show some initiative and you know, go out there and get it and be a go-getter, people 
really respond to that and they want to help you even more. And I think that that is just a great thing to keep in mind, again, for any goal or anything that you're doing in the workplace, that people want to help people who are out there trying to go above and beyond. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. And how about a favorite study, experiment, or bit of research? I think that anything to do with positive psychology, I'm all about that because for so long, uh, psychology really only focused on dysfunctional things and what was going wrong and how can we help fix those things. And then lo and behold, uh, positive psychology studies came around and it was all about what can be right and what can be done positively from a place of something that is not broken or needs to be fixed, but how can we think better and think differently uh, that will help us advance. So anything to do with positive psychology or emotional intelligence, I really love. And there was also a body language study uh, done by a woman named Amy Cuddy. I have found it to be pretty true to where when you use your space and you stand up straight and tall and you feel more powerful, almost like in a superman or woman pose that you might do before you go out to give that presentation or go in front of the camera, it changes your physiology and your stress hormone cortisol drops and your testosterone can rise. And in her studies, she showed this can literally happen in the way that we use our body in just two minutes. And, you know, I've used this with clients and students and even myself, and, and I see the difference. You know, if we're imploding looking down at our cell phone or looking at that resume and not getting up and using our body to feel open and more powerful and using our space, there is definitely an effect on how we show up. Mm-hmm. And a favorite book? Uh, well, I have so many, but one that I just finished recently was called Rise and Grind by Damon John from Shark Tank. But I also love Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. You know, I've referred to that many times over the years when I've been looking for a goal, whether it was to uh, achieve goals at work or write my book or whatever it may be. Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. I, I can go on because I am a very big student of personal and professional development books. So I could probably rattle off more than a few for you right now, but I won't take your time. All right. And how about, is there a key nugget you share that people seem to connect and retweet and frequently quote you? It's a Patricia original. I've told people, and especially students and and younger people, when I go to speak at schools or, or on some of these Zooms, that I love to remind them that we all have our own personal fingerprint, that no one has the same fingerprint that any of us do. So it doesn't matter if someone is doing something or has done something before. If it's something that's in your heart and that's a calling for you that you want to do in this world, just focus on putting your own personal fingerprint on it because that means no one's ever touched it just the way that you have or will from your perspective and your personal life force. All right. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Well, you can certainly link with me on LinkedIn, just Patricia Stark, Facebook, Patricia Stark Communications, Twitter at click Patricia, like you're clicking Patricia, and then Instagram, Patricia Stark Communications, and then on the web, uh, patriciastark.com or columnfidencebook.com. All right. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Uh, just know that when you have the plus factor, when you're not just going through the motions, when you're not just following the job description, everyone truly is really self-employed because it's up to you to decide how good you want to be at something, how much effort you want to put forth, how much of a plus factor you want to have. And 
that's the thing that will make you stand out from the crowd and be different. And even if it doesn't happen right away, people take notice when we go above and beyond because unfortunately, not a lot of people necessarily do that. And when you do that and you are willing to go the extra mile, people will want to go the extra mile for you. All right, Patricia, this has been fun. I I wish you much luck with your book and other adventures. Ah, people, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed speaking with you today. I really loved how Patricia gave a precise figure on that eye contact number. I've I've pressed other guests before. They say, well, it really depends on the context. And 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 so, hey, two to five is still a range with five being more than double two, as you may have done that arithmetic at home. And so I dug that as well as I found one of her suggested eye contact practice videos on YouTube. And I was watching it. I linked to it in the show notes. So check that out. And <laughs> it was fun, particularly the extreme challenge mode. At the very end, it's like I have this deep connection with this person. I'm staring into their eyes. But of course, I don't because it is a video, which is cool in that it's both safe and challenging. Like you feel some things, but it's a zero risk environment. So a pretty cool way to practice that skill. Those eye contact videos that's linked in the show notes at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP711. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 